In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. I'm Gonlin. And I'm Nathan. We have another very special episode. We are watching, or we watch, 1995's The Quick and the Dead, directed by Sam Raimi of early in his career Evil Dead fame and later in his career Spider-Man fame. <laughs> kind of fell off and he came back recently with the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which I saw in theaters and I liked it. And then I saw the crit- the critical response to it and it's like, Okay, I guess they're right. It's not that good in a movie, but I still enjoyed it nonetheless. (laughs) I was entertained. Uh, Written by Simon Moore, who doesn't have a lot of credits. He's not dead, as far as I know. Uh, He's kind of like most famous for... He did the Traffic series with a K that the movie Traffic was later based on. Okay. And he directed like a thriller movie. You know, the tall Irish guy. Liam Neeson? Yeah, Liam Neeson. So this, this stars Sharon Stone because we had her we had her in uh, last week's movie with uh basic instinct so yeah. this was on the list and then gene hackman russell actually the the, the uh, yeah i just need to look it up because that's one of the crazy things about this movie because it's not really that popular right um, kind of like flew under the radar and this cast is absolutely f-ing insane yeah it's a billion dollar <laughs> cast you know <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of people, uh, like, at the end of their career, a lot of people at the beginning of their career, just, uh, you know, at the time, these are nobodies. So we got Sharon Stone, Dean Hackman, Russell Crowe in his first American movie. Okay. Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Very young Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, we got Tobin Bell here, who's not really that famous, but he was, like, he was Jigsaw in the Saw movies. Okay, okay. <laughs> He's just kind of a weird character actor, but got kevin conway like i don't know i don't know if you know you see him he's like oh he's he's one of those guys he's a character actor so he's like oh that guy so he's not really that big of course keith david <laughs> yes that was interesting i f- totally forgot about him being in this uh lance henrickson <laughs> yeah gary sinise and flashbacks <laughs> yeah and everyone looks uh, like they're 15 in this yeah <laughs> we got mark boone jr who He's kind of like another character actor. He's mostly like he has like a giant beard and hair. I remember him as like the guy gets split in half in vampires, but he usually plays like a biker and everything. Okay. Like I literally think he's in like Sons of Anarchy probably. So if he isn't, he probably should have been. <laughs> right. I know he was in Memento. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, this is a crazy cast for a movie that uh, kind of flew under the radar. Like, this... Don't forget Sven or Thorson. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's like a famous like stunt guy who kind of worked on every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here he gets an acting role. He's not just some like weird henchman in the background. No, yeah, he actually like plays the first one. Yeah, I th- the first time I saw this was just like one of the fable, which I guess they still do this, but back in the day, the HBO Free Weekend. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> uh, I remember that. Because it sounds like. 
like when you were younger, we had HBO, but when I was growing up, we didn't have HBO, but we had cable. And so every once in a while, like, I think it was like twice a year or once a year, they had the fabled HBO free weekend. (laughs) We're not leaving the house. (laughs) Get out the VCR. We're going to tape some, tape some movies. (laughs) We're getting one over on the system. (laughs) So this is one of the ones I saw there and I was like, oh, wow, this movie's cool. I was like, why does nobody ever talk about this? So I was kind of like scared coming into this. I was like, oh, this this isn't going to be as good as I remembered it. <laughs> Watched the movie. This movie's f- brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what anyone else's problem was. This should have been a huge hit. <laughs> it was actually like a really great year for Gene Hackman because he did this, Crimson Tide, and Get Shorty all in the same year. Yep. Although I, I don't I don't really hold Get Shorty up that high. I, that was one of those movies that seemed like everybody's talking about. I saw it and I was like, okay, it's fine. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> uh, it seemed one of those like so Hollywood up their ass movies. It's like okay, nobody else can relate to this except for Hollywood. That's why it gets a bunch of buzz because finally a movie about us. Like you're Hollywood. Every movie's about you. <laughs> but also it was based on Elmore El, uh, Elmore Leonard novels, so you know, had some chops there. But, oh yeah. But this, yeah, I think this movie was first movie that sharon stone produced so she has a lot of sway in it so she got sam raimi to direct it because she thought he was more visually interesting and she paid leonardo dicaprio's salary with her own money because they didn't want him for some reason huh okay (laughs) i mean he's just a kid at this time but yeah he did do what's eating gilbert grape which but i don't i don't know yeah, it's one of those movies like, okay, he's playing a mentally challenged person, so I don't know if it's like, oh, he's great at this, or wow, that's embarrassing. It's, but, you know, he's good in that role, but still, you never know. <laughs> Even if you get accolades for something, it doesn't necessarily mean, like, further success or further your career. Yeah, oh, yeah, we've seen that before. Uh, do you have any history with this movie? <laughs> I just remember, um, I forget when I watched this. Probably watched it as a friend's, at a friend's house. Yeah. And to me, it always stuck in my mind. I remembered it as like a, a comic book movie yeah. because it seemed to have some of those notes to it. And it's like, and, and even uh, watching it, because I watched it once, like probably a year after it came out, and then I watched it again. And it's like, yeah, it seems like they're just kind of like taking tropes from Westerns and, and just making them all into one movie. But they're doing it like obviously, like they're not trying to be like uh, this isn't like an underhanded homage to uh, Clint Eastwood movies or John Wayne movies. No, this is just a direct like, yeah, we love those movies, and this is everything that could happen <laughs> in one of those movies, all in one place. Well, like like when I say it's brilliant, what I mean is that it's a just a perfectly executed B movie formula. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like oh, this is awe inspiring and stuff like that. No, it's just a cool movie, but a lot of it's done well. Also, like I, I compare it to like a wrestling show, because it's like you have a lot of characters, but they all have flair visually that you can read from a mile away, and they all have like a sentence or two that just describes their character immediately. And they're not just stereotypes, but they're just like they're all different shades of an asshole. <laughs> it's just like, but this guy's this kind of asshole. <laughs> yeah, they're all people that shoot people and commit crimes, <laughs> except for um, the Sharon Stone character. Uh, yeah. we, we don't know. Like her, her background seems to be motivated by revenge, but she yeah. also like acquired all these skills somehow. So, yeah. and I always thought like Gene Hackman seemed out of place a little bit, kind of in how he was acting. It's like, oh, he's doing his character from The Unforgiven. But everyone else, it's almost almost borderline cartoony, but not. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah, it is, yeah. But Gene Hackman is, like, the best part of this movie because it's, like, yeah, he's the best 
he's the best mean guy you'll ever see in a movie. Yeah. Like it, Gene Hackman knows how to be a bastard. And I mean, I don't know in real life. I've never met him, but it's just like his character, like in the unforgiven was like, that guy's unbelievably evil. Yeah. But he's always got a reason for why he's that way. Now here is he's both he's both evil and fun. So it's like you want to see him keep doing stuff, but you also hope he dies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, his performance and Sharon Stone's performance in this are, are really strong. But I feel like Gene Hackman was almost... Because he was in Wyatt Earp, too. Like He did a, a string of westerns yeah. uh, like uh, uh, with this kind of tonality where he was almost the same character in every one. And, and that could be a reason why the, maybe this, this didn't... Um, maybe this got buried under a bunch of the westerns that were coming out at the time. Yeah. Had like Tombstone and Unforgiven, which came out before this. So maybe people are tired of westerns. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, those are like real westerns. Westerns. This is like almost yeah. a revisionist type fantasy western. Of I mean, revenge it's like, and... hey, hey, Sam Raimi direct a western. Is like, oh, do I have any restrictions? No. Nope. <laughs> Just don't like. Let's not have monsters in it or anything. But other than that, or at least not make made up monsters. Uh, and he's doing like that, like pull out, zoom in, Dutch angle at the same time stuff. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, oh okay, yeah, this is a Sam Raimi movie. Yep. Anyways, we start with Act 1. I guess it says it came out in 1995. Not sure if I said it. I think about February, so it wasn't like it was necessarily sent to die at the theaters, but it yeah. wasn't necessarily meant to be a blockbuster either. So. We have a wide pull-out shot, and there's a horseman off in the distance. We pan over. There's some guy digging a hole. The, the guy digging the hole gets spooked, and he shoots the rider. The rider falls over, and then the rider's revealed to be Sharon Stone. Um, Ellen is her character name written on Internet Movie Database. She's not named yet here, but she's like called the lady or just lady throughout most of the movie. But in my notes, it's Ellen. So, okay. Uh, I believe she was called Ellen once by court, like towards the end of the movie. But, okay. I missed that. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, well, he, I don't know. Like in the flashback, she might have been called Ellen as well. I'm not sure. Although here, the guy just calls her, you bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't get really uh, any identification. Of, yeah. <laughs> Uh, which I didn't know. I didn't know this till later, but this is the Tobin Bell, <laughs> the, this guy here. But he doesn't have a name yet. Uh, I think it's Dog Kelly. We learn later on. He he like walks up to her and he thinks she's dead, and then she like knocks him over with something, uh, and then she cuffs him to a wagon and takes off. <laughs> and I don't think we ever get revealed what that was about. <laughs> no, it was, it was like he was looking for money. Yeah, and uh, I, he doesn't seem to be a part of like Herod's gang. <laughs> she, it's not like a bounty she's collecting because she just left them there. So, but yeah, so I, I, I bet that was a scene that was like added or something like that. It might. I know. I, I, I think I heard that like uh, Joss Whedon did like a rewrite on this. Okay. Uh, so he like he like came up with the, the third act, and so this might have been added with that to kind of like, add something. I'm not sure though. And then Ellen like rides off. She goes to a graveyard where there's a hanged man, which you know she doesn't do anything about it, so she just, <laughs> she just keeps moving on. Yeah, which that, that's what makes her character kind of interesting. You think it's like, oh, she's the hero, and it's like she's not really, because <laughs> I think like out of all the characters, she kind of seems like not the coolest, because everybody just gets to be cool till they die. And, but like her character actually has a character arc where she's like, you know, she starts out where she does, she shows off some skills. But then she, like, you know, displays weakness and then, like, is about to leave and then has to, like, recover, which is, like, an actual character arc. Which So, like, I think, like, when I was a kid, like, her character didn't come off as well. But as an adult, it's like, oh, she's actually, like, the most complicated character in the movie. Yeah. 
we see a wide shot of the town. It's like bathed in sunlight, and then Ellen takes a pause and at, at the burnt down sheriff's post. Although, like, I pre- I don't know, like, presumably how long that's been, how long that's been there. I'm not sure how like how old she's supposed to be in this movie. Yeah, uh, but it goes from like her kid is like, has that thing been burnt down to the ground for like the past thirty years? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There, there's again, there's some. This is where it comes back to like comic book stuff. Like, yeah. This is this is all style over over reason. Oh yeah, and also like <laughs> for gun guy stuff, uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna know a lot about stuff that, uh, stuff about all these guns. You know, it's kind of like oh, that's a single action cult. They're kind of just all single action cults to me. Yeah. Uh, although I did read some trivia that said that the guns they use in this movie is more era appropriate rather than just the coolest guns they could get. Okay. Because um, I guess like Court's gun that he uses is like a um, it's a Navy Colt. I'm not sure what the era it is, but it's like a conversion from the a ball, a yeah, cap gun. Cap to and a, ball. Uh, it's the one that the Swedish guy was shooting first. Yeah, but this is like a conversion. Yeah, but this was a, a converted to to take cartridges. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they they said that like those were actually like way more like those were far more used in the old west than like you know the single action army was because yeah. they're cheaper. So and they worked. So well, and also in the old west too, what you got now? Like I said, I'm not gonna go down a whole rabbit hole of gun talk here, but. <laughs> a lot of the guns that were used, number one, there was a lot of inconsistency in who was manufacturing what and what calibers they used because that was all like just up in the air back then. Yeah. But people tend to use stuff that they used during the Civil War that they were familiar with. And so that carried over a lot too. Yeah. Uh, the Colt single action looks cool, but it was, uh, in a, you know, it was a relatively effectively priced for that era. I think it was like $12 in the 1870s, which wouldn't be crazy. It'd be a lot of money, but it's not like it's madness money. But yeah, yeah people tend to use what they were familiar with. And a lot of the a lot of the old West stuff was just post-Civil War guys when they were hitting middle age. Like, I'm just using the same <laughs> gun I used to, you know, it, it, it pick, it, pick its charge or whatever. And that was, uh, <laughs> that was what was generally available. Yeah, Movies make it seem like it was all kind of unified and, like, yeah, everyone had this gun, and some people had the really long ones, and some people had the short ones. And it's like, no, long ones and short ones are relatively rare. Most people had the standard length guns, and uh, most people just learned to work around a gun. But I have actually handled a Colt single-action army replica, not an original. I yeah. haven't fired it, but I got to handle it and use it. And um, they're very ergonomic for a gun of that era. Huh. Like, they're quite intuitive. Like, that thing where you draw and cock the hammer – you can't help but do that. It is like, I mean, you can stop yourself from doing it, of course, but it is intuitively designed for that fluid action. Like it's, Uh. and the way you hold on to it, and because it's so, like I said, I didn't get to fire it. I fired one similar to it that was converted to 45 ACP because those rounds are a lot cheaper than 45 long Colt. (laughs) So it's like, oh, there's very little felt recoil, even with a wood handle with a steel frame under it. So it's like, yeah, I can see where those would be usable guns. If you're just used guns all the time, it's like, that's a great gun. I mean, it has the same kind of ergonomics as like a 1911, those old school, like, oh, it just goes into your hand and yeah. you kind of work around it. But because it is a single action only cock and fire, cock and fire, cock and fire gun, that action where you bring the hammer back is like, oh, it's they made it this way. It actually holds back from the frame a little bit, so when you grab it, it's like, oh, this is intuitive that you do it this way. Hmm. Um, I don't know how accurate it is because I'm a lousy shot, but I seem to hit the paper with the 
But then again, that was one that was a 45, and it was, uh, I think it was the Ruger series, so it wasn't any way an original. It just had that original-looking finish. You can still buy these from Colt, the Single Action Army, if you're interested. Yeah. Uh, they're about $1,700. They look, <laughs> they look like the real thing, and you can get the 45-cylinder for it, so the 45 ACP, so you can actually afford to shoot the damn thing. Uh, I just don't see any reason to put $2,000 into a a 200-year-old gun design, but they are cool. Or you can get, like, an Italian replica for, like, $300 from Cimarron or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Ruger makes some, too, that are... Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw some that they look kind of... I was looking, they had, like, these 20-tier long rifle ones that look just kind of, like, neat, and they have them in different colors, and they're, like, they're like $125, and it's like, well, that'd be fun, but I never got it. But. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like revolvers and and these kind of revolvers look cool to me but again it's like like I said before I bought three guns in the last two years haven't shot any of them <laughs> not for lack of desire or trying but just because like oh there's we're we're still in ammo scarcity and God knows what a pack of bullets costs nowadays <laughs> you could buy a that. horse for well I don't know I, I mean most of my stuff's like twelve gauge like I've really wholly embraced the shotgun as as like this amazing thing so I'll, I'll eventually go out to the range and see if it just flies out of my hand but <laughs> i'm so out of practice on a lot of this stuff but ellen rides into town where the mortician guesses her hide at five eight as he's like building a coffin yeah ellen ties her horse up walks into the saloon she asks for a room but then like the the barkeeper just keeps saying whores next door <laughs> and then she's like say that again and he just like he has his back turned and he's like and he just calmly just says that again. It's like whores next door, and then she like kicks the like the chair out from underneath him, and like grabs the whiskey as it like falls down, and just like steals some whiskey, and then he like falls, and then she's like, "All right, there's a room out back." And then there's like a cowboy in a flashy black leathers walks in. It's Lance Henriksen as Ace, who <laughs> he's not mentioned yet, but because he has like a deck full of aces and some all the people he supposedly killed, you're like, I bet he's called Ace. <laughs> We have the blind kid who's like a salesman and he's like shining Ellen's boots and he's talking of John Harrod. He's the guy that basically owns the town. It's, it's, uh, we don't see him yet, but it's, um, Gene Hackman. Yeah. The kid hears someone riding in and he says, like, another gun has come to town. And it's just some guy that's just screaming as he's riding a horse. And this is Mark Boone Jr. Uh, and then like Ellen says, like, how's it going, Scars? So we know his name. So, and then he chases some guy out of the bar. And he, like, the guy that he chases out of the bar runs away on the horse, and then he shoots him on the horse, and then he cuts his arm. Cause for So he's like, oh, he cuts his arm for every person he's killed. Like, this is why this movie's genius. Like, you know, immediately who this guy is, what he does, this little quirk. There's like, it's like we're like three minutes of the movie. We already know four characters and their entire history that we can make up for ourselves. And he's wearing, like, a prisoner's uniform from that time with yeah. the black and white stripes, and he looks like a filthy hobo. <laughs> which does come into play much later in the movie <laughs> well yeah, he comes up to like he's like him and eleanor like trading like insults and he goes you're purdy she goes you're not and just like walks away and then ellen's like walking by and she hears like a deal going on the background where a family is like emptying out their like entire life savings uh to pay sergeant cantrell it's keep david he's not named yet but you kind of see her like sneaking in on a meeting. He just like closes the door. It's another thing. Like they don't tell you what's going on, but right. You know exactly what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> then like the innkeeper girl, uh, takes Ellen to her room. The girl thinks she's cool, but Ellen like doesn't react to her. at all. <laughs> so 
like, I don't care if I, you think I'm cool. Like I'm, you know, I'm not somebody to live up to, uh, and I don't care if you do or not. So <laughs> she's yeah. just a very cold character. And here she pauses at a picture of Gary Sinise or what are they called? Is that a tenotype or what's that kind of picture called? Um, yeah, I forget. There's a name for it and I can't think it uh, might be right. And I think the girl mentions that there's a gunfight contest, so kind of get a clue of what's about to happen. Uh, then we cut to like night, and there's a celebration in the street where everybody's shooting in the air and stuff. Uh, in the saloon, the, the 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 bartender declares a quick draw competition, and here he like lays down the rules. And first we see this is the first we see of Kid, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. That's his name. He's just called Kid or the Kid. And the the rules are: there's a gunfight once a day. Anybody can challenge anyone. And gunfighters basically get whatever they want while the competition's going on. So, like, you know, do you need sex workers? Do you need gambling? Do you need booze? It's all laid out here. And the winner gets $123,000, which I have no idea what that converts to. That's got to be, like, a billion dollars or something. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it would be some insane amount of money. (laughs) And it's in a Wells Fargo safe that presumably they just robbed. Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, when they come in, they see that the sheriff's office is burned down and there's, like, this gunfighting competition. It's like, okay, there's no rule here. <laughs> it's just, like... So they start calling for contestants to set up the bracket. The first one's Gutsun, who's Sven Olthorsen. He's the Swed- He's a Swedish champion. <laughs> uh, they kind of laugh at his name. They think he's weird. Then Ace Hanlon enters. That's Lance Hemmerkin's character. And then Kid gets put on the list, but he brings in Eugene... Uh, I think it's Kevin Conroy. He's like the he's like the local pimp or something. They, they have a heat and exchange with with uh, with each other, and so he enters the he enters the competition hoping he can fight against uh, a kid. Then Sergeant Contrail enters. Uh, yeah, I like when he says the guy's like, "How do you spell that?" And he just like takes a long drag on on his pipe and he goes correctly. <laughs> and it looks like he does spell it correctly. So yeah. Uh, then we have Spotted Horse. Uh, I wrote down, it's played by Jonathan Gill. I thought like this would be a guy, but he's only done like three things. So, you know, he's a real Indian guy, so, or Native American. Yeah. Um, and he's just kind of, yeah, he's kind of a vengeful Native American who is covered in bullet wounds. But I don't think we see that till later. Scars enters the competition. And then Kid introduces himself to Ellen and he hits on her. Uh, she she's not impressed by that. We got Virgil Sparks enters the prize of Texas, which I don't think I don't I don't remember him. He probably just gets shot pretty early. Yeah. And then we have then we have Herod, played by Gene Hackman. He enters in, he intimidates everyone, and then he adds his name to the list. And then Court, played by Russell Crowe, gets thrown in. So he gets thrown in the saloon by Herod's men. Uh, Court's like we can presume is like a former gunfighter who's turned priest. Herod throws him a glass of water or throws a glass of water at him and then court just catches it and drinks out of it. Yeah. So it shows like, Oh, he's got like, you know, fast hands, (laughs) but then they string him up, like put a noose around his neck and have him stand on a chair. And then Herod starts shooting the legs of the chair, all the support stuff on the chair out. And so it starts crumbling and then Ellen enters the competition and then like people laugh at her and he's still like hanging up. And then as like courts, as the chair's about to fall apart, uh, Ellen uh, shoots the, the rope. And uh, so he doesn't die. <laughs> so he doesn't get hanged. Uh, and then everyone's like, that's where it's kind of the first thing. Like, oh, she does have skills. <laughs> you know, she pulls out real quick, shoots the rope, and then, like, you know, flips the gun around and puts it back in the holster. So, you know, like you do. <laughs> yeah. You know, just to flag everybody with a loaded gun. <laughs> yeah, the only interesting thing I know about, like, kind of, like, guns like that, because uh, they have, like, cowboy 
uh, shooting competitions, even though there's like six rounds, uh, because those old guns, they didn't have like transfer bars or whatever, how the safety. So you only load five and you have it sit on an empty chamber for safety reasons. Yeah. You don't want the firing pin to bang into it when it's in your holster. Yeah. But so she saves court, but then court is forced to, to enter the contest. And so, yeah, I have that's, that's the end of act one. Cause we now know like, okay, this is the setup. This is the contest. I know, like, like every time, like, I probably didn't, I probably didn't write down enough of his dialogue, but every time Gene Hackman's on screen, he's just like, you know, electrifying, he just oh, takes yeah. over everything, hams it up. So, uh, I'm probably forgetting to like mention all the cool things he says or intimidating things. <laughs> they have to. It's yeah, people are firing guns there in celebration again because the you know the competition's about to start. We enter into a flashback where there's a town being terrorized by by criminals. It's Ellen's nightmare. Ellen wakes up at the at kids place they presumably had sex but you know we don't see that but that's the implication but she also said that he was like vomiting because you know she basically beat him in a drinking contest yeah although it's kind of funny because the bed that ellen is on is just like it's just kind of like sheets on top of a bunch of barrels of dynamite yeah uh, so that's fun and he says he sleeps on it so no one can steal it yeah <laughs> ellen says she wants to challenge herod but uh kid cautions her against that and then she, he also mentions that Herod's his father. Then we see Court chained to the town fountain. Uh, the gunfighters are like all like circling around, figuring out who they're going to challenge. And Court gets challenged and kicked by. Oh, I forget who it is. He gets kicked by some guy. And then like the guy's five kids like run up and start beating him up. And then like the the Ellen stops the kids. And then uh, Court's not really appreciative of her saving his life the night before. Yeah, you know he just thinks, hey, yeah, God will send me. <laughs> You know, God will help me. <laughs> I mean, he's not like he's not like completely helpless, but he's like trying to stick to his like his new his new goals of like peace and stuff like that. But you can see it's like just getting dragged out of him that like eventually he's gonna have to defend himself. So right. Then we're at the saloon. The saloon again. Herod's uh, talking to, t or he's taking the bartender for like everything he's got. <laughs> he's like, hey, and, like he's mad. There's not enough money either. <laughs> okay, Ellen's about to challenge Herod when. Uh, the guy from the beginning, Dog Kelly, he comes in. He's still chained to the wagon wheel. <laughs> yeah, he's got like the center part of it on there. Yeah, which I don't. It's like he he still is he still chained to that like during the the the, the shootout. <laughs> I think they took it off him. I don't remember oh, okay. seeing it. That would kind of be a disadvantage. Uh, uh, she doesn't want to take this challenge, but like uh, Herod says, that's one of the rules, so she has to take it. And we see Ace is outside. He's impressing the locals with like stunts. But Herod isn't impressed at all, and so he challenges him to a duel. Then we have a montage of like everyone like preparing their guns. This is where you get like the Swiss guy preparing because what does he have? He has like that gun like they have in Westworld, right? The Lamont, whatever, with the shotgun in the middle of it. Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't look all the other guns up. <laughs> I think that was well. That was... Oh, no, he had the Navy that you loaded by hand, right? Well, yeah, well, no, like, yeah, because he had the, he, he put in the um, the powder and he put the, and it has, like, the little thing to press the cap in there. Uh, and he puts, like, some weird, like, wax on the front of it, I guess, to, like, I don't know, keep the balls from, like, falling out or something. I don't know. I think that's that. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was, like, the, uh, that Lamont, what, 1886 or whatever, because I know it's, like, famous now because that's what the, uh, the man in black in Westworld uses. Yeah. Yeah, I know that, like, uh, I remember hearing, like, people are like, oh, we should remake that into something modern. It's like, yeah, you couldn't hold on to it. <laughs> it's like, I want a revolver with, like, a, a shotgun shell in the center of it that you also fire. It's like, yeah, it'd break your wrist. And it's also a sawn-off shotgun, so. 
So we have the the the, the first gunfight. It's Kid versus Gutsen. <laughs> yeah. And the whole, the whole town's out to watch, and they're cheering on. The gunfires can only fire on when the clock tower chimes on the hour. And uh, I didn't realize till the end of the movie that the clock tower, because I wrote like chimes and the bell rings. There's no chime no. or bell ring. Nope. <laughs> it just clicks under the hour and then they start it, which really doesn't make any sense. Unless all those guys just have great hearing, you know, all these gunfighters with great hearing and no hearing protection. <laughs> I don't know. It's fine. It's fine because you visually pick up on it, and it's like, yeah, it doesn't make sense because being that like at least one of the contestants always has their back turned to the clock, so it doesn't really make any sense. But it's fine. Yeah. So the the clock ticks over, and uh, the kid gets the draw, and he shoots Goodson in the arm. The kid gloats, and he's like, he has his back turned, and then Goodson's like standing back up to shoot again. The kid puts a bullet in his leg, and then Goodson concedes and tosses his gun, uh, which is like. I guess it's something I forgot about, but like, they're not necessarily like meant to like kill each other in the contest. It's just like you shoot at each other, and either someone dies or someone submits. Yeah, but uh, but it's, it seems most of the time like people aren't meant to die. It's like you just shoot somebody in the arm. That was completely survival back then, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think. Well, these are relatively low velocity times too. I yeah, well, I'm I not think sure a thousand feet much... per second would have been like the outside range of what a uh, handgun could do at that time. It could be wrong, but yeah, taking one on the arm and then just like hoping that like you don't die of some bacteria thing is probably the problem. I'm not sure. Like, you know, there's probably some good science after the civil war. So it was like, but it wasn't an instant death sentence to just have a bullet in you, but yeah, <laughs> but you know, they do have a doctor that comes up and checks on everybody after. So, yeah, but you know, it's a Western. So, you know, you gotta right. have people taking bullets there's not <laughs> let's follow their medical history like nobody cares about that <laughs> and here we have like herod is acting like the devil on court's shoulder it's like it, like it almost literally he's standing over his shoulder it's like don't you want to be a don't you want to be a violent person again <laughs> yeah so he's trying to entice him back into his old violent self the kid celebrates in front of herod but herod isn't impressed uh so you never like really accept him as being as like that he's his father or anything like that so you can see that oh the kid's just trying to impress him and he's not so that's sad <laughs> but the town loves him and he's you know he's got all these girls that's swooning over him so you know then we're back in the bar this was spotted horse shows off all his bullet wounds yeah he's got like he's got like dozens of bullet wounds he said he got like he had he said he got shot in the head the day before and it hasn't pushed out of his head yet <laughs> yeah i remember that yeah one went through his lip and yeah <laughs> Ellen's like sitting across the room. She cocks her gun. She's thinking about shooting Herod in the bar, but she uh, pulls back on it when he kind of just stares her down. And then we just have like a montage of gunfights, so we get through that. And then we get to the court court versus Foy fight, which is the guy that challenged him as like five kids. Uh, court says he's not going to fight. Herod and his gang take him to the gun shop run by the kid. Herod and kid uh, trade like deep hatred for each other. Yeah. He's like, oh, you got farmer's hands. Like, like those aren't shooters' hands. <laughs> and then kid shows off a variety of like really cool guns. And then even court is like like enticed by the guns. It's like almost like a sexual experience for him. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man, look at all these cool guns. You know, like, you know, he throws him one. I think it's some some single action army. He's like doing all these like flips and stuff with it, and shows off how he's how he's uh, he's good at gun handling skills but court says he doesn't have any money and so herod buys him the cheapest piece of crap in the store and this is the 
the rusty Colt Navy cartridge conversion and one bullet, one bullet only. Yeah, because they're so afraid of this guy. Well, I also says like, God's on your side, right? <laughs> so the duel begins. Court says he won't draw, but uh, you can see like the temptation creeping in to defend himself. And uh, the clock strikes and Court shoots Foy in the arm and he wins the rounds because Foy just gives up. Then Ellen talks with Court. Herod pops in and he basically gives off Court's backstory. And then Ellen's angry about it because she was hoping he was like, you know, someone redeemable but it's like oh you just killed people with court and you'll find out why <laughs> that uh that hurts her so uh, here we have yet yeah, eugene is perving on the young barkeeper's daughter he's like trying to whore her out but ellen interrupts yeah and then we have herod versus ace and then herod's here is questioning ace's accomplishments because you know, every time he has like a story uh ace is just like grooming his mustache <laughs> and then he's like questioning him again and herod like reveals basically one of ace's stories was just something herod did you know just because he was good at killing people and then suddenly like ace is like gripped with fear and so he he draws before the clock turns over and then but herod gets the shot off first he shoots off his right thumb and then herod wants him to test his left hand draw skills and then he shoots him in the hand then he starts shooting at his feet making him dance and then he just shoots him dead. <laughs> yeah. And here, like, the town goes silent because in this way, you realize, like, oh, the town really wants him dead. Uh, and so, but he, Herod's, like, waiting for his applause. <laughs> and then the town, like, reluctantly complies. And you can see people, like, clapping, but, like, with frowny faces and stuff like that. Yeah. And then and then people just come up and they strip Ace's body <laughs> clean. Of all yeah, I like how they, just, like, strip him down almost immediately. <laughs> We have Ellen has like a deeper flashback where Herod is stringing up her father. Then we cut back and that the barkeeper girl wakes up Ellen to, for her to go to her gunfight. And then like as she's walking out court, like whispers like the like listen for the, the tick before the clock ticks over as like so she has like a competitive advantage. And so it's Ellen versus Kelly. Yeah, Ellen shoots Kelly and then the doc comes up to render aid and then like the, the town celebrates. So this is another thing, like, like so far we've had, like, three or four gunfights and only one person has been killed. So it's like, yeah, it's like killing's not necessarily the, the aim of the competition. It's just kind of a quick draw competition. So Yeah, it's it's uh, like a change he makes halfway through because yeah. you will probably wouldn't get as many people to sign up if, like, oh, every gunfight's <laughs> a sh shoot to the death, you know, and it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know, even, like, duels, like the old school, like, duel, like, dueling pistol stuff, that was always meant to be the to death, right? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I mean, it depends. It depends on how it was, uh, what the reasons were. But typically it was like, yeah, my honor can't be satisfied until one of, one of us are dead, you know, it was that kind of... <laughs> I mean, the founding fathers of the country love to do it. It happened a lot. <laughs> so the town celebrates uh, Ellen's victory. Uh, that, that barkeeper girl, like, runs up, and she's like, I think you're great. And she just mumbles back at her grow up. Yeah. <laughs> no, killing people she... really sucks, actually, uh, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, she didn't kill the guy because she's still – because that's still, like, a, a barrier for her later on, so. Yeah. But even at this point, the but uh, Dog Kelly is just gone after this point, so we don't see him again. At least I don't think we do. Because it seems if people get injured and lose the competition, they just leave town. So Yeah. They put um, some sulfa in the wound and <laughs> or break open a black powder shell and pour it in and light it. <laughs> Ellen goes back to her room and Herod invites her to dinner. She gets a corset and a knuckle duster out, uh, which I, originally I just wrote a derringer, but I was mistaken. This isn't a derringer. It's a, it's a different specific kind of you know, very, very small pistol. 
because it's like a it's like a it's like a six shot 22 revolver very small gun that if you're out of bullets you can turn it around and use it like it's a brass knuckles or whatever so that's why it's called a knuckle duster which should still be available now to everyone but (laughs) they they don't they frown on brass knuckles now (laughs) yeah it's nighttime ellen is is in her dress going to dinner court's court's trying to reach a glass of water that's just out of reach (laughs) uh so it's kind of cruel but kind of funny too then we have court and ellen they're talking over dinner she doesn't like she doesn't hide her feelings like she basically you know is telling him like i want you dead but she's not telling him why uh she reaches for a knuckle duster while herod's just kind of hamming it up she fumbles the gun and then herod's speaking of like saying he had a wife who was unfaithful to him and he implies they killed her but we don't know yeah because she asked him like what happened to her oh she was unfaithful yeah but what happened <laughs> she was unfaithful it's it like a, it's like just a restatement of the it's like oh okay this guy probably killed her yeah but he doesn't want to like he yeah to himself he doesn't think he's a bad guy even though that's like all he does yeah like all i do is commit violence and rob people but i'm not a bad person yeah i have a code <laughs> um, it's hard to understand and it kind of phases in and out with what i'm doing <laughs> but yet still i have a code and i won't be questioned by anyone <laughs> Because I'll kill them because I have a coat. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you say the things you believe because you say them, and it's vice versa. It's like, okay. A lot of people have that code, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Some version of it. Uh, Herod hears the click of the knuckle bust- duster as she pulls back the hammer. And then Her- Herod starts telling the story of his dad, who is apparently like a judge. And then one day, his dad <laughs> started playing Russian roulette with like his whole family. And then, like he, but he he came up he came up black and shot himself in the head. Yeah. Um, well, remember Herod also said they used to make us, uh, me and my brother, watch people get hung, so yeah. we would learn about you know right and wrong and or whatever. I don't know what it was. You know, it was a Gene Hackman speech. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it always has those highs and lows. It's a, he made us watch him, and they hung. Yeah, it was something like that. And, and then he like, immediately goes back to talking normally. You know, he has that weird cadence to how he delivers lines that's yeah. intense and then low-key at the same time. <laughs> and here's I still would have loved because... Gene Hackman as the main character in uh, Close Encounters. Cause <laughs> that, that was supposed to, it was supposed to be him instead of Richard Dreyfuss. It's like, yeah. that would have been cool. <laughs> I mean, Richard <laughs> Dreyfuss did a good job, but it's like I'm trying to imagine Gene Hackman in that role. <laughs> Because I could absolutely see him in that role. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, was the manic switches from like low key to yeah, all energy. <laughs> I missed this like a, the first time, but like you hear another click, and then Ellen gets kind of scared and starts walking away, and then it's revealed that the cl- other click wasn't a gun; it was just like this fancy match holder that Herod has. Yeah. Um, and by the way, in this, this movie, is- they strike matches off people's faces and <laughs> it's like yeah they must have these really unstable sulfur tip matches yeah i gotta keep them dry in a silver match case yeah i mean this whole scene just kind of like ends up being about how she can't kill somebody and how that's gonna be a problem for a character being that she wants revenge by killing somebody she's only killed one person so far but no not, she hasn't killed anybody. not reveal well in the flashbacks it's revealed that she has oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, thus, um, she would have a problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> if she leaves the next day, it's raining. Court's just like drinking the rain. Because <laughs> so, uh, they're not feeding him or giving him water or they're putting it just out of his reach. 
And then, um, and then he's, he like looks up at her. He's like, I know it's undignified, but sometimes you gotta, because <laughs> he's just holding his mouth as far open as he can yeah. to catch rain. And she's looking down on him. Like, uh, but here, like, she kind of stands by for a moment. And so Court tells his side of the story to Ellen, where he's basically just like, you know, I was young, we didn't have anything to go, and I just uh, followed him around, and I was good at killing people. So I think it's also where he tells the story, like, they, oh, I'm not sure, was it here where he tells the story of the. Of the priest they killed and he didn't want to. I th- yeah, I think this is, yeah, this is where he finds it. Yeah. And so why he, he started to become a religious man. Yeah, because they were, they were like basically fighting off an entire town of like police. They escaped to like a mission and the Padre took care of them. And then like when they're leaving, because like Herod didn't want to like them to sell him out or something, he told him to kill the, the Padre and he didn't want to because like I mean, he just helped us out. <laughs> like, let's not kill him. And they gave him to account of 10 to, either kill him or he'd kill court and so he shot the guy and then slowly after that he just kind of like got away from the gang and became a priest to try to like turn his life around ellen's not completely taken in by that but she at least she kind of understands yeah that he's like attempting redemption (laughs) if herod invites uh cantrell to a conversation herod wants to know who paid him to come here and kill him uh and so they challenge each other to a duel by the way, yeah, uh, Keith David smokes the coolest pipe in the world <laughs> in this movie. I don't know what steampunk pipe that was supposed to be, but it was really cool. Yeah, because it's like super elaborate. I mean, that's what I like. It's like, you know, everyone's like smoking in this movie and he's like, hey, but he does it. Di- everybody smokes differently. <laughs> yeah. It's all those details. And then Herod wants the, the kid to quit the competition, uh, but the kid's like dead set on winning. Because that's like the only way he can prove himself to Herod. So then we have Herod versus Cantrell, uh, and here's where Herod changes the rules from from left standing to left alive. So now, like the only way to win is to kill the other guy. So like I said, that's why important. Where it's like most of the gunfights before this were about just kind of like people getting wounded rather than killing them. So now this is kind of like a a big change, and now this is like the town. I don't know. I guess that'd be fifty fifty for the town. It's like oh no, now somebody might kill Herod, even though we have no idea how long this competition is going on. It seems like he's probably won it every time. So yeah, this seems to be. He's very <laughs> confident in his skills. <laughs> yeah. So now every round's a duel to death. Cantrell gets shot. So they have the, the they pull. Cantrell gets shot in the chest, and then Herod starts giving him a speech where he's revealing that he knows the town paid off Cantrell to kill Herod. Herod's like kind of like playing with Cantrell. He like shoots his gun. His gun. Cantrell has like this cool gun where it just like hinges on his hip, so he doesn't have to draw it. He just like turns it like 90 degrees and fires yeah um, which seems so, yeah, a little hit... unwieldy but it might yeah. work so he yeah, shoots that so it's like his his gun just like spins on his belt for a bit and then he you know he gets up on his you know gets on a high with his speech and then just shoots a giant hole in his head so yeah. he's dead. we have kid kills scars and it's kind of like a but it's it's done very well because like how it starts off it looks like kid got killed yeah but then he just like goes into like amazement like i can't believe how good i am <laughs> yeah because he falls on his knees yeah and you're like oh did, did he get killed and it's like oh no he's just like put, doing a putting on a performance yeah but but it's a it's a great like little scene because it prepares you for like later on in the movie <laughs> right right it's raining again so they postpone the competition he, like all because all the people like kind of ran to the bar and they hear like just eugene forcing himself on the young girl like in the background and like nobody's kind of doing anything about it like and and eugene comes down and the the bartender like contemplate because he's like holding his like gun belt over his shoulder and the bartender like contemplates like grabbing one of the guns and shooting him but he doesn't he just goes back to work but then ellen gets like pissed off of them and and she starts like fist fighting with him 
and then it becomes a challenge and then there's like there's no formal thing they're just like running at each other in the rain shooting at each other just blazing away too like yeah. there's no controlled <laughs> shooting or anything just blasting away at each other uh she gets i think she gets shot in the arm or something i can't, I can't remember but then she shoots eugene in the dick eugene begs for her life and then here's where her hair tells her to kill eugene but she doesn't so this is further showing off like her inability to kill people but then uh ellen goes back to the bar and she gets a drink and then as she's like grabs her shot like eugene pops back in and like shoots the glass out of her hand and then she just unloads on him and kills eugene yeah um, and then she's still kind of distraught about it and then she does have like a bandage in her hand afterwards but i think that's from like the the glass and the bullet graze rather than like her getting shot the first time they were fighting but but then, like, yeah, that's kind of creepy because, like, all these people show up to, like, to pull Eugene's gold teeth out of his mouth. Yeah, they like got wrenches and stuff. <laughs> Get that gold. There was a guy selling gold teeth in the market, too, in the earlier scenes. Yeah. He's, like, got a big, huge bag. It's like, yeah, it's all gold teeth. It's like... Dude, that's a lot of gold. You could like get out of that state with that much gold and own a farm somewhere nice. Just gotta melt uh, it down. Yeah, yeah. It's, it doesn't have that gold. Doesn't have that high of a melting temperature. So, Alan starts to leave. The kid tries to stop her, but she, then she just takes off. So we have court versus spotted horse. The clock ticks, or it doesn't take. It just goes over the hour. Court gets a shot off, but spotted horse is still alive. But he doesn't have any more bullets. Because <laughs> remember, no bullet can skill, uh, no bullet can kill Spotted Horse. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, this guy's only got one bullet. Is this going to end in a knife fight or something? Which like <laughs> would have been kind of cool. But anyway, it doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Harris just like taunting him. It's like God will provide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, Court's just like asking the crowds, like, I need a bullet, and then like the the blind kid who's just have like has just like a. A, a, a shelf of wares there's like somewhere he's reaching for bullets and he's trying to get the the right one i forget what he needs he's like a, a 32 long colt or something I'm something sure. like that yeah it's 32 something yeah and yeah so the kid throws it the blind kid throws him the bullet he gets it put in and he shoots spotted horse in the head so he falls down he's like oh he's dead right and then like but he has one last he's like his hand raises up and then it falls down so that's it and then Herod's clapping, and he says, welcome back, killer. <laughs> and, you know, this also is a big emotional thing, because, like, he swore, this is the thing he swore he'd never do, uh, but because he just has these national instincts to kill, and he's, like, threatened with his life, he has to kill somebody, even though he swore he wouldn't. <laughs> so that's it's good, it's good um, conflict for the character. Because also, like, as... You know, for us, like, watching the movie, it's like, yeah, we want you to win, but, yeah. So we don't necessarily kill it, care if you kill a guy, but uh, we have to acknowledge that, like, this is a a, uh, a deep betrayal of your own ideals. Ellen goes to a graveyard. She's looking for her father's graveyard. Uh, then the doc shows up and talks to her. Like, like in the flashback, the doc is there, so he knows her from her, from her childhood. Um, he says something like, uh, I forget what they did, but they just, like, knocked over her, her dad's grave and so she couldn't find it or something or or nobody could find it i'm not sure yeah um and then, yeah this also a flashlight we have gary sinise is the marshal which was <laughs> so not that long it's another yeah it's another like big name to add to the list although this is like directly after forrest gump so they must have like got him in the right mode where it wasn't huge yet or it wasn't released when they got him to do the movie but when it came out like a yeah, it would have helped if this movie is much bigger. But 
uh Herod strings him up and shoots the chair that he stands on. Uh but that's not the but then we end that flashback and come back to rally them. Ellen comes back to the town and she challenges Herod to a duel, but the, the, the kid already challenged him. But Court and Ellen get pitted against each other. Herod says if she leaves town or, or doesn't kill Court, then his men will kill her. Yeah, he's always um, got these four dudes walking around with like long rifles, like lever action yeah. rifles. And they're always cocking their rifles to make a point. Whenever <laughs> Court says something, there, these guys are continuously cocking guns. <laughs> Sometimes by swinging them around, sometimes just normally. I'm sure those guys are like some famous like stuntmen or something. <laughs> oh yeah, because swinging one of those guns, I've I've fired one of those guns, something like that. You know that style of gun, and the concept of swinging that around to reload it. It's like, well, either break your hand or hit yourself in the head with a seven pound <laughs> rifle. It's either that's how that's really gonna go. But you know, stuntmen they know how to do that yeah. stuff. So it's also like when Herod's like. Herod slaps her in the face with a glove, <laughs> and then the men hold her back, from the, which I guess I was improvised by Gene Hack. Sounds like something he would improvise. <laughs> Got to have a little pain in your acting. <laughs> Let's slap the producer. Yeah, and a woman. Uh, I mean, he did it with a glove, so it was like less menacing, but it was still like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. If it was improv, it was probably like, oh, a genuine look of surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Alan tries to talk the kid out of the duel, but the kid says the only way he'll earn Herod's respect is if he kills him. So, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, they have a sad duality to them. Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, like, dynamic. So then we have kid versus Herod. Uh, Herod tells a kid to drop out of the fight. The kid refuses. Yeah, they draw. Kid gets Herod with, like, a grazing shot to, like, the neck or the face. I think it's he's holding his neck. but it, This is the neck, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, but but kid takes a shot to the gut. Ellen goes over to the kid as he's dying. <laughs> kid yells like he's got like he, got, he kind of almost has like he's he's uh, acting all big and tall. And he always has his stories of like you know robbing people and stuff like that. And here he just sound, sounds like a kid. And he's like I don't want to die. <laughs> so it's very sad, very well done by Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> and then Herod comes over to watch the watch kid die. Uh, and as he's dying, he claims that that he isn't his son just like one final indignity <laughs> yeah he, he won't hold his hand or, or really engage with him at all and he said he because that's what the thing about the farmer's hands earlier in the in the gun store comes back he's like he was the farmer's kid he was never my kid yeah. it's just <laughs> denying this guy even his death is like yeah. even the even if it is true that he wasn't his kid it's still like yeah you can't even indulge this guy to just gut shot which is not a nice death uh, a little accelerated here, but yeah, it's like, yeah, he's not my kid. It was the farmer's kid. What do you want me to do? Like I said, like goes, you know, they, and they tease us early on was shot was when he like falls to his knees and you think he's dead for a moment, but then everybody celebrates. Cause like the crowd loves him. Yeah. And now, and like everyone, and this is once again, a, a, you know, somebody loses in the crowd is strut and they're like, how are we ever going to escape this guy? <laughs> Well, get together as a group, buy a bunch of guns, and shoot him <laughs> because he can't kill 30 people. <laughs> Everyone's got to sleep sometime, you know. <laughs> so I have that being the end of Act 2. Act 3, uh, Ellen's distraught over the kid dying. Uh, the blind kid is standing by. There's a velocity. She's looking at a picture. I'm not sure if it's of kid or if it's of her when she was a, when she was a kid. And she's like kind of like playing around with guns. So I don't know if that intimate, like, why she's good with guns because she was like playing with them as a kid, but you know, we'll, we'll see soon. She's not great with guns when she was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> so, she um, choked under pressure. 
the blind kid's there and then Ellen asks like what ink he has and he says like all kinds uh, and then she knocks on the dynamite and then we cut to court versus Ellen the clock strikes the hour they don't fire <laughs> at each other and so Herod gives them to the count of 10 and either the, he'll kill he'll kill them both or either they fire or they or they kill them both Herod gets the one and court pulls and fires and then you know you, you see what you think is blood but <laughs> Well, I guess not think. I mean, they said ink, so I think you kind of know it's ink the whole time. Although I'm not sure if it's I'm not because sh- like Court wasn't in on this, so like like does so they they would have does Court like does Court have a blank? Does he not know he has a blank, or is Court in on this? There was actually a scene cut from the movie where they have a, her and Court have a sex scene, and it just oh. got cut at the last minute. So I'm assuming he is in on this somehow. But okay, as as presented, you're not sure. Well, I think it's like, well, I thought it was like, it'd be far more interesting a character thing is if he's not in on it and he's just like forced to once again prove that like he can't like not defend himself. Like he's, he, he can't be the person he wants to be because he's just naturally this person. Yeah. This became um, one of those infamous, the studios behind it, rewrite as you go shoots. So yeah. there's, there are some scenes that like were, were never included that would probably add more dimension to it. Yeah. But the doc comes over and declares Helen's dead and he cries over the body and he's like preventing people from like looting her body. And then Court like kind of comes after Herod, but his men hold him back. And then Herod pulls out a Derringer uh, and then he lets Court pick when they should uh, duel the next because they're the last people in the competition left. Uh, Court picks Dawn. And we have like, uh, yeah, it's at night and the uh, Court's tied up and Ratsy, one of the, uh, the his guards, like breaks his hand because he broke his nose in the previous scene <laughs> and so it's, we're at dawn and then Herod sees that he broke his hand and then like he's angry that this isn't going to be a fair competition <laughs> so he's like Ratsy you got 20 seconds to get out of town <laughs> he's like well I did everything you said boss and he starts running and he gets to the time and then like he grabs one of the the lever action rifles and then shoots him dead <laughs> and it's like all right on with the competition well and meanwhile like there's like a scene of dialogue between him and Russell Crowe and you think like the Ratsy scene's over, like he's just running out of town, and then he's like, "Oh no, time's up! Give me the yeah!" And he just like shoots <laughs> the guy with the rifle and throws it back to him. He's like, "Yeah," and just continues talking. <laughs> like he just shoots some guy in the back, which is more great Gene Hackman moments. They go to their positions, but as as Herod's walking back, he's talking to his men. He says, "Whatever happens, if he's still standing, gun him down." Then we get to the as the clock rolls over the hour, the tower blows up. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, it, like, gives a signal. (laughs) And then Herod's house, like, blows up. And then basically just the whole town blows up. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, Herod is still trying to shoot Court, but he's, like, he's, like, gets distracted by an explosion every time. Yeah. Um, Shooting under pressure. (laughs) Ellen walks back to the town. She's back from the dead. The blind kid reveals the red ink and that, and, and the the doc was in on the the ruse court just like takes out all of herod's men <laughs> just like uh, just you know to grabs shoots one guy grabs his rifle shoots the other three guys and they're all taken care of and then uh, and then ellen and herod stand ready to duel and then herod asks who she is and then we have like the final flashback where herod gives a young ellen a chance to shoot her dad down um and then she ends up just shooting her dad in the head yeah he couldn't have been like shot in the shoulder or something (laughs) he had to shoot him right in the forehead it's like (laughs) honey it's you're a little low 
Yeah, and it's yeah, it's a sad scene because he's just like he says, "Whatever happens, it's not your fault." But uh, she couldn't, she didn't believe that. So <laughs> apparently not. Well, I mean, she didn't believe me. She's going for revenge, you know, but she still is uh, distraught from it. Yeah. Um, and they come back to now, and then Herod, like, I don't know, kind of remembers her, but he's, like, struck with fear. He's also seeing that his town's blown up, so, like, this is all I have left. And they both draw. Uh, they both hit each other. Uh, then Herod's still, like, standing. He's like, huh. And then you see, like, his shadow, and you see a hole in his shadow. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a great scene. <laughs> Uh, and then he got, and then he's like he's like trying to like kind of like re, uh, gather himself to like shoot at her because she got shot too, but uh, she's more like stable. And then she like gets um, the gun back up to shoot him, and he kind of does like this like kind of like very whiny, desperate, embarrassing scream as he just gets his head blown off. Yeah, <laughs> well, not blown off. It's just a big hole goes through his head, but it's, it's it's a big moment, like big zoom in, spin in the camera, all this stuff. <laughs> And then when he gets hit, he just like flies like a stunt man attached to a wire being pulled out under my so, Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a great ending. It's a great way to kill him. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Ellen grabs her dad's marshal badge and throws it at court saying like he's the new law in town. And then she hops on a horse with her busted arm and rides off. And that's, you know, yep. and also there's money like blowing all over. Oh, yeah, town. yeah. yeah. But also like, you know, this town needs to like rebuild because she blew up the Damn. Yeah, you're the law of this, uh, you know, scrap pile. <laughs> you're welcome, everyone. Is the town's just engulfed in flames? There's probably fifty people dead. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was really happy to to watch this and see that. Like, I thought it was cool as a kid, and I think it's even cooler now. Yeah, I mean, it's great escapism. Yeah, it's great escapism with some interesting performances and some some technical craft and oh yeah i looked up while we were talking you can buy a uh, uh cartridge converted lamotte with a 20 gauge shotgun shell in the center of it for eighteen hundred dollars <laughs> uh, if you want oh, one okay. i guess as long as the barrel's not rifled it doesn't count as being sawn off in that form or if it's only partially oh. rifled or something <laughs> for i mean for the shotgun thing yeah yeah i, I think this is i they read that it was modestly successful at the box office but like being that like this like, like I was looking at like should I get a DVD release there's like no there's no special features there's no audio commentary this is just a forgotten movie like no one ever talks about it yeah uh, it doesn't really have like a cult following <laughs> it's just a forgotten movie that's really cool <laughs> Sam Raimi doesn't talk about it <laughs> it's like his one movie that doesn't have the Delta 88 in it <laughs> Although they 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 sometimes talk about it, saying that like one of the wagon wheels like ended up being like reforged into like a bolt that was on the Delta eighty eight. That's their <laughs> that's their excuse. Uh, if you don't know, uh, Sam Raimi puts his old Delta eighty eight Oldsmobile. Is that an old? Was that an old movie? Yeah, yeah, it's Oldsmobile. Yeah, he puts that car in all of his movies, and so this is the one that when it makes sense, <laughs> couldn't get away with it. Uh, this came out. Uh, this came after Army of Darkness, which I, I think was also just kind of like not a big hit, but it was like is well remembered. Like came out like it became like a staple of like cable television. <laughs> yeah, because you couldn't really show Evil Dead or Evil Dead Two, but you could show Army of Darkness like all day. <laughs> so yeah I've, yeah, I've seen Army of Darkness before I ever saw the Evil Dead movies. Yeah, um, this was a movie too. You got to remember, it came out in the same era. Like the Unforgiven, 
Dances with yeah. Wolves. Like there were a lot of like serious westerns that were shot in like the older kind of the tradition of of like oh this is why we love westerns um especially yeah, the well, dr- dramatic you know big theater pieces and this was sort of didn't fit anywhere yeah yeah usually it's like wide vistas slow pans yeah like, yeah <laughs> and, or, and even like but even like you know the good the bad the ugly had like really like kind of like charged and energetic uh cinematography but even this is beyond that yeah <laughs> so, oh no this is nuts this is <laughs> like i said this was it, if someone told me this was from a comic book, I'd be like, yeah, I, yeah, I can absolutely yeah. see. Like, every Western trope in the world is included in this movie, for, especially for, like, gunslinging-type movies. Because uh, I don't know if you've ever seen John Wayne's last movie, The Shootist. It's basically about a guy who's a professional gunfighter. Uh, More in the Keith David style. That's why he says, I'm a shootist. Like, right? <laughs> that's the last, one of the last lines Keith David has. Like, yeah, because he's like a carbon copy of the John Wayne character who was basically treat he was a dying gunfighter and interesting john wayne was actually dying while the movie was being made <laughs> and he was trying to pass it on to a younger person but then he's like oh this is a terrible job you know <laughs> just shooting people for money but yeah that's it, this is like everything all in one especially with the wild west shoot 'em up type movies and then of course you know, i go to cisco and ebert to see what was their response uh, and why do we always go to that or why do i always go to it because like i don't because they're most the most memorable critics of the era. Yeah. Um, and you know the, the thing about them is that like I'd always say that Siskel was kind of like a bit more prudish, but he's also more approving of like family films that which uh, Ebert never really liked family films. Yeah. No. But he also didn't like just unhinged violence and sex, but he was if under, under the right context, he was more approving of it than 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 Siskel. And so the thing is, if they both liked a movie, you're like well, it must have been good. So. Yeah. They both did not like this movie. Uh, they thought it was repetitive. They thought, like, well, it's got, like, five gunfights, and they're all the same. It's like, no, they're not. Every gunfight is different. <laughs> Every gunfight tells a story. It has a different setup. There's different guns used. The thing with Siskel and Ebert, especially in the 80s and 90s, what they're, they're like, as I look back on them, it's like they're right about a lot of things, but they're also kind of like their audience was middle America. Yeah. And it's like, what is Middle America? What would they think about this movie? And, you know, well, we're going to review it in that context because that's kind of like people are coming to us as basic. These aren't Cannes Film Festival goers or <laughs> people that go to Telluride to watch indie films. Like, like we're just speaking to the middle of the country, kind of straight up the road. America. So, yeah, then that's – but a lot of things are right about too. I mean, I don't think they're wrong about a whole lot. But yeah. As far as, like, would you and your wife like to go see this in 1995 if you were a 40-year-old couple in the theater? Probably not. Probably not the <laughs> intended audience. Also, like, the funny was the lineup for that uh, at the movies. It was, like, Jerky Boys and the Crumb documentary. Okay, wow. All right. <laughs> a lot for them to like there, yeah. <laughs> but they love the Jerky Boys. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a great movie. I think it's, like, playing on... Pluto TV, if you want to watch it for free, um, but it's, you can get it everywhere. Uh, all the DVDs, there's no, there's nothing special about no. them, but um, you can just get like in four. I saw a 4K one, so I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but I won't be getting it. But yeah, there's no special edition. So yeah, I, unfortunately, this movie is just kind of, kind of lost, but I, I suggest to watch it. I don't want to play it. I like, I don't want to play it too much. It's not going to change your life. It's just a really well done B movie. Like it felt like a John Carpenter movie to me. Yeah. Um, just a little, like just more spastic uh, camera work. 
And I didn't look up the DP of this. I, I always like, because I always associate, you know, you watch a Sam Raimi movie and all his weird shots, you seem like, well, that's got to be Sam Raimi. He's doing that. Although someone else has to like figure out how to work. But like anytime there's weird camera stuff, I always attribute to Sam Raimi just because I know when you see a lot of the um, behind the scenes, especially with his early stuff where he's like literally pounding together a weird contraption to do the shot with. It's like you kind of associate all of his shots with him even if there's like a director of photography in between kind of doing a lot of work but. the direct, the uh, guy was uh, Dante Spinotti he was an Italian ah okay and he has done um, let's think here's some good mo- uh, like uh, Last of the Mohicans oh okay he did the hey, cinematography that's, that's really on that Hudson Hawk also there's a good one. <laughs> oh, okay yeah LA Confidential oh okay um <laughs> X-Men The Last Stand, did some <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia, um, trying to think of, oh, is it Tower Heist, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Huh, okay. Yeah. So All right, he's, yeah, so he's, he's, he's re- like Now I know a guy to look for, because it's like, yeah, I recognize <laughs> that, now that has a through line, because LA Confidential is a great looking movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the movie that made Russell Crowe a star. Yeah. It's like after this, Russell Crowe did um, Virtuosity. Oh yeah, like... that was. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. That was a great uh, idea <laughs> that never panned out. But great cast, terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm shocked when I look at that. Like Russell Crowe was in this, and uh, who was the other guy? Uh, Dunzel Washington, Washington was in this. It's like what the. F- it's like I, 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 I gotta, I gotta make some payments. <laughs> we need money. I, I mean, that's kind of the era of Demolition Man too, where it's like, like this is kind of a stupid movie, but it's clever and it's got big actors in it. But, <laughs> but like Virtuosity is even more stupid than Demolition Man. <laughs> no, yeah, Demolition Man. I if it's on, I'll glance at it. It's like, oh, I remember yeah. some fun with this. Yeah. Um. Even like um. When did they make the Judge Dredd movie with Stallone? This was kind of in that arc, right? Yeah, I was thinking it was around like 98, 97. Yeah. Something. Like, I'll even stare at that occasionally. It's like, yeah, that looks like the comic book. However, the Carl Urban one was way better. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. it's like... Uh, and also, I think, made more money. I don't know. Maybe not, but... I, I don't know. Because I know they wanted to do a second one, but they just, like, we didn't make enough money on the first one. Yeah, and and then the people that loved it like me really love it. But then you analyze it, it's like, yeah, you want two more hours of a bleak, hard, hard R rated, <laughs> hopeless movie where people just are blown to bits. It's like, oh, well, yeah, kind of, but I can understand why. Again, middle America is maybe not chomping at the bit for that. Yeah, I don't. Know, there, I there's always talk of a sequel because Carl Urban is just always down like I will always play that character I'll never take the helmet off yeah I've heard people try to get another movie I've also heard like maybe a series is in works somewhere (laughs) Carl Urban is so like hyped like when he was trying to get Star Wars back together he was like the main force behind like we got another or Star Trek Star Trek Star Trek yeah he was like we got it and he plays Dr. McCoy He's like, well, we come on. We got to get everyone together. We got to find out a way to do this. I'll take a pay cut. I'll work for free. And everyone's like, no, no, it's just a bad deal, Carbon. We're, Carl, we're not doing this. But yeah, he is so pumped to do things like that. I would just, I would support. If they had a GoFundMe for uh, a next Judge Dredd movie, <laughs> I would give $50 to it. Yeah. Because I personally love that movie. But I can understand why. 
people don't want to like, yeah, let's do this again. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, uh, like the boys seems to be pretty popular. I'm not sure if that's going to give him a springboard to another series, but you know, maybe it would. <laughs> maybe the boys will get the dread TV show going. Oh, I couldn't imagine like eight hours of that kind of dread. <laughs> the music's pretty good in this. I mean, it's pretty like typical and. Um, it's done by Alan Silvestri, who has done movies you know about. Oh yeah, Forrest Gump, Polar Express does a bunch of the Marvel movies. So. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I just think this movie's unfortunately be lost. But uh, well, you it's it, it. it got drowned in the crowd, and it is kind of its own weird animal too. Yeah, it, it's it, 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 it again. It was of a time when you're talking about Unforgiven, Dances with Wolves, and like there's four, like Wyatt Earp. There was a bunch of like those. Dr- I mean, the westerns in the mid nineties did the exact same thing to themselves that killed them in the seventies. It's like, yeah, let's make heaven's gate again. But it's like, well, no, that was a failure the first time uh, because the Western started getting, Oh, this is cinematic and beautiful. Look at dances with wolves. Look at the grittiness of unforgiven and Clint Eastwood's back. Of course we know him from the Sergio Leone movies. And, and then, you know, but then when we do Wyatt Earp, it's like, yeah, it's four and a half hours. It's like, oh, okay, you've <laughs> heavens gated it again. So goodbye, Western. So this was kind of like the oddball, quirky Western that like, oh, well, we've, we're graduating. We're moving on from this. Honestly, I, I don't have like the right like framework for necessarily for that, that time either, because the way you think of Marvel movies now, it's like, oh, they dominated movies for 20 years now. It's like, all you see is just superhero movies. It's like, like you have to remember like in like the 50s to like the 80s the western dominated cinema cinema and television you couldn't get away from it no (laughs) it was the best people still talk about the bonanza tv show like it was some (laughs) life-changing event and it was kind of cool i remember it only because the only reason i watched bonanza is because like half the cast of the 70s Battlestar Galactica was also on Bonanza <laughs> for some reason and it's like oh who's Lauren Green before he was a Dama so that's why I watched Bonanza but yeah that was uh but yeah the western genre just finally ran itself out but then in the 90s it like oh it's back and this is cool but yeah. then then we got into four and a half hour epics and it's like okay no not not so much because Tombstone came out around this time too yeah and Tombstone is a lot closer to Quick and the Dead than Unforgiven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it also Yeah, Unforgiven is kind of the top because it's also kind of is also subverted the genre where it's like, no, here's the real gritty stuff. And then yeah. like people like, you know, it's like a, it got Oscar nomination. I think it probably won the Oscar for Best Picture. Oh yeah, easily. That was a great movie. Because the bad guys were actually the good guys and like the <laughs> sheriff was just a psychopath. And and um and there was some great dialogue, you know, when like when he's beating the hell out of when Gene Hackman's beating the hell out of Clint Eastwood. He's like, there's no whore's gold. Stop <laughs> coming to this town looking for it. You, you know, you're not going to get it. You're just going to end up dead. This is a law and order town. And nobody cares about cut up whores. You know, he just had some great speech like that yeah. uh, where it was it was like Shakespearean and rough all at the same time. And, and yeah, that was uh yeah, and he's like, you know, he's trying to he's trying to commit his violence because the only thing he's good at because he's a bad farmer and like half his family's dead. <laughs> yeah, like, the hogs are dead. Like, mom's dead. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, the hogs got cholera and we need to rob a bank or and, well, and actually he, bounty killing. But yeah, and now he's even failing at violence. <laughs> 
There was also oh what was uh there's also another movie around this time with like with the Emilio Estevez like what was that? Young Guns. It was like a billion. Yeah, Young Guns. They yeah, it was around around this time too. So I think that was more late eighties, but then they had a sequel yeah, yeah, in the nineties. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not like remember fondly, but that's kind of seemed like one of those like big rental movies. It's like oh, I'm gonna rent Navy Seals and Young Guns. Yeah. <laughs> because this is entertainment. <laughs> Yeah, I remember uh, uh, some of those movies. I remember the movies of like like covers, like batteries not included. That always seemed like, oh, that movie's got to be great, but I've never heard good things about it. But you look at the cover and you see like bits and pieces of it. It's like this looks kind of neat. It's what, like no, this was that a Spielberg movie? It was produced by produced Spielberg, by yeah. okay, Short Circuit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, Gene Hackman's in his nineties. Oh yeah, he hasn't done anything. Well, he writes books now. Oh, well, that's good. I thought he was just like hidden away with some, you know, weird, you know, some aged disease. And he's just hidden from the public. So now he's, he's essentially something. quit acting in like what two thousand four. Uh, I, I mean, so he's, he's welcome he's, to Mooseport or something. Was his last yeah, movie. it was his last movie. Yeah, and then he um, now he did do narration. He did something about the Marines and something about Iwo Jima. Oh, okay. Because I think he was in the Marines. Huh. I think so. Yeah, there was something. I think he had some kind of. But I'll say, I don't know. I don't know if Sharon Stone went on to produce more. Well, I think she probably did. But this was kind of her first four way. I'm not sure if it worked out for her. But so this is probably like a downturn for her. I'm not sure. Well, I guess she did uh, Casino the next year. So that was. Yeah. Like... Yeah. These people in this movie were all doing stuff. I guess she got to do more stuff. Ten years later, she got to. Executive produced something called What's Up Rockers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't recognize anything on this list. Okay. That, that's, that's a bummer. Yeah, 2004 was kind of the year Sharon Stone sort of disappeared from acting <laughs> for a while. I don't think she did big stuff after that. But I also think she was one of those people that was deeply affected by things, that, you know, her career and stuff that went on and drugs and all that. And it's yeah. like, yeah, that's... Because her performance in Casino was like astounding, <laughs> the best actor actress in that movie, like the best character was Sharon Stone in Casino. Because this, like all the other guys were doing like mob guys, which they'd done before, and they did a great job of it. Robert De Niro's great, Joe Pesci's great, but Sharon Stone, you got to watch a woman like deconstruct <laughs> and die horribly. You know, just die of a <laughs> just a drugged out. Hayes and some flea bag motel and it was like she did a great job well it's like i think this character her character in this i think would be kind of underlooked because like everybody gets to be cool except for her I mean, she only gets to be cool like at the beginning and at the end but it's like no she has actual character arc so her character is actually like really well done it just kind of you feel sorry for her in like in the middle half of the movie but you're supposed to you're supposed to like get low on her and then she gets to rise up and reach you know rise to the occasion which is you know very formulaic hollywood stuff so but it's just a movie like this makes me feel old when i see like russell crowe and leonardo dicaprio and i yeah young leonardo dicaprio is now like 40 and date still dating 28 year old yeah i mean you yeah you must be this old to ride leo you know that's the rule why well, don't like they that Lee, like uh, Leo and uh, her kissed at one point in the movie, and she said that was the worst on-screen kiss she ever had because she was that was super awkward for her because he was really young and 
you know, she was in her late thirties, so that was probably like, yeah, we're just gonna do this. Uh, she did not like doing that. Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio's my age, <laughs> exactly. He was born the same, like within. He was born like before me, so he's a little older than me. <laughs> so in this movie, he would have been he would have been like twenty one, but he looked fifteen. Yeah. Yeah, what are you doing at 21? <laughs> Washing dishes at a at a, a restaurant. That's where I met my wife. Yeah, so I didn't know Leonardo DiCaprio was, like, older than me by a few weeks. That's weird. Ah, uh, you know, he, he gets that Hollywood stem cells. <laughs> no, I don't think he looks that much younger than me now, though, really. No, no. Uh, let's see, and Russell Crowe is 58 going on 70 because that's what happens <laughs> when you just drink constantly. Uh, and I can't remember. Keith David does a lot of voice work stuff now, but uh, he's still he's still around. Yeah, you always know Keith David, yeah. He's the most only really recognizable actors. How old is Keith David now? Oh, 66. Hey, he's not that old. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a lot smaller now. Boy, he lost a lot of weight. I guess you're supposed to do that when you get older. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's weird. I didn't know Leonardo DiCaprio was a little older than me. A lot thinner and a lot richer, but... What did he do after this movie? I don't know what Total Eclipse... Oh, then he did Romeo and Juliet. Okay, yeah, kind of... And then, like, after that, a year later, Titanic. So, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I did a lot of... <laughs> I like that Romeo and Juliet. It was kind of cool. I wish they'd only do one of those. But they did a lot of those after that, where it's like guys running around with guns, but it's like Shakespearean dialogue. Which, oh, what was other ones that like that? Uh, who else did that? Um, I know I'd seen like three or four, uh, and I can't was, think of them off the top of my was head. There some, was there some like Macbeth movie with, um, what's the Mad Max guy? <laughs> Mel Gibson, where he has like an Uzi or something? I can't remember. No, that he actually, he did, uh, he did Macbeth, but in, in like the period. Oh, okay. Um, that was actually pretty good. Uh, I'm trying to think. Let me look up that because that was a Baz Luhrmann film. Yeah, and it, I mean it was it was kind of cool. And the one that they did, the one that oh, who's the guy Ray Fiennes did the Coriolanus, uh, the one it's got uh, Gerard Butler as his adversary in it, and but it's set in like modern times. It's like two countries going to war, but everyone's got like body armor and machine guns but they're doing oh, okay. the, they're doing the shakespearean dialogue now that was subtle that was kind of cool and then they did another one with anthony hopkins recently on amazon it was king lear uh but it was set in modern times but there wasn't any like there wasn't like a great deal of violence in it it was just people doing th that dialogue but then they're driving around in like uh you know rolls royces and stuff and no one has cell phones for some reason i wonder why probably wouldn't work out too well <laughs> we have to keep the knowledge away <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, if, you, if, if you're spreading rumors and whispering them like in a Shakespearean play and someone can text someone else like, wait, is this true? It kind of defeats the whole story. <laughs> Remember they did like kind of, but it wasn't exact. it wasn't as stylish as Romeo and Juliet, but they did do a modern, a Hamlet in modern times with like Ethan Hawke. That was kind of neat. It wasn't that great, but it wasn't that bad. So <laughs> Yeah. I'm trying to think of what my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio role is. Probably the Aviator because he did a great job in that, <laughs> playing Howard Hughes. Do, do, do you think? Uh, do you think uh, Leonardo DiCaprio took anything from uh, Gene Hackman from this movie and brought it into the Django Unchained? <laughs> he might have. <laughs> 
He's a very big character in that movie. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's another good performance. I liked him in Inception, too. Yeah. You know, and he's he's great and vulnerable and multifaceted in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too. Yeah, yeah, he did a really good job there. Yeah, he's a, he's a great actor. So I can't deny him that. I don't know what he's done like in the last since. What has he done uh, he since did, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Uh, don't look up. Oh, was that the comedy about the asteroid? Yeah. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that one yet, or maybe I have. I don't remember. It's 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 pretty good. It, it was it was one of those great movies where it got it got like misinterpreted by the right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, these these liberals they don't they they're not look they can't see the real world. What's going on? And it's like no, you're literally they're literally saying Republicans are, are sticking their head in the sand and, and and avoiding responsibility. But okay, whatever. Because it came it was like a pandemic era movie, so it was like it's. Uh, you know, had those kind of it drew those comparisons, even though it wasn't created under those uh, those circumstances. Oh, okay. Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio's next movie is with Martin Scorsese, <laughs> and it's about a murder in the, at the Osage uh, Indian Reservation in Oklahoma in the 1920s. Huh. <laughs> okay. Let's see who's in it: That's DiCaprio, it. De Niro, Jesse Plemons. Okay. Um, there's a lot of like Native American actresses and actors here I've never heard of. That'll happen. Well, yeah, if you're shooting it on a yeah, <laughs> you gotta have that. Sturgill Simpson, huh? Well, that should be good. I always hear very mixed things about Shutter Island. <laughs> I didn't like it, but okay. <laughs> uh, I th- I think like the acting was good in it, but it just the story kind of was interesting. It just seems like a weird curveball from Scorsese. It's like, what, are you going back to Cape Fear again? <laughs> like, let's just do a B movie. <laughs> but you're a prestigious director. And The Great Gatsby was pretty good. Revenant was great. I never saw, <laughs> I ne- for some reason, all that guy's movies, they look fantastic, and I never want to see any of them. <laughs> I never saw Birdman. I never saw The Revenant. Oh, yeah, now I'm excited. I wonder when that movie's going to come out. Oh, 2023. Oh, yeah, next year. Well, if you like what you heard, and how can it you? You can find us at VerhovenEffect.com or go to anchor.fm slash VerhovenEffect. Uh, you can rate our podcast wherever you want, but, you, but the only rating you listen to is the highest rating. So remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. Uh, yeah, at VerhovenEffect.com, we have listener support. You can support us at a monthly stipend of either $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $99. Uh, $9.99. Uh, and if you support us, we'll do more faster because that always brings quality. Yes. Um, uh, you can find us at Twitter at Verhoeven Effect, Facebook Verhoeven Effect, and you can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory. You can watch both this and that show live and unedited. And we have t-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash greed factory. So for the Verhoeven Effect podcast, I'm Colin. And I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America. Goodbye, America.